season in Advent, um, if you don't know, means waiting. It's a four-week season of waiting where we are awaiting um, the birth of Christ um, for Christmas, right? But also we are awaiting the second coming of Christ, that Jesus will come again. Um, and so last week, Pastor Riley preached to us about hope, that there was hope whenever Jesus was born into the world, because Jesus died took on our sin, rose again, and now all who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. That's our hope. But there's also another hope that Jesus will come back. Don't make no mistake, make no mistake about it. Jesus is coming back and he will set all things right. And that is our great and glorious hope. And so Bradley talked to us about that last week. I have the privilege of talking this week about peace. Peace. How many of you in here need a little bit more peace in your life? I need a little bit more peace in my life. I'll be very transparent with you. In, in preparation for this message, I'm a, I, I mean, I think out of all the messages in recent memory, this is the least amount of peace I've ever had in preparing for a message. How ironic, right? So as I'm bringing you this message today, I pray it also ministers to my soul a little bit too, because sometimes anybody in here who has ever taught anything, whenever you teach something, you actually learn it better. And so maybe today as I'm rambling up here about this, maybe God will do something in my heart. I pray he does something in your heart today as we look at, at peace. And to start off this message, I want to go to the very beginning. And by the beginning, I mean the very beginning, in the beginning, Genesis 1. I want to read this because I think this is, I want, to, I want to use this as a setup for kind of the rest of the message here. You think it'd be easy to get to the very beginning of the Bible, but. Here it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? How'd that happen? The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. That's all I want to read there. Because what we don't, what we don't get in reading it in English is, is that the word, the description there of the earth, the earth was formless and empty. That, that word there can also be translated as chaotic that it was chaotic or, or that the waters, were, that it was brewing. It, the, the author isn't really quite clear there. But what we do understand is that out of chaos, God brought order. That out of nothingness, God brought order. Where there was nothing, where there was no order to anything, God brought order. This is good news because this is what God is in the business of. I told you I wanted to set up right here because this is what God is in the business of. And for a whole conversation about peace this morning, I want to go from that place that God, God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is all about, he's all in the business of bringing order out of things that are disordered, bringing peace out of chaos, bringing unity out of disunity. This is the kind of business that God is in. This is the heart of God is to bring order where there is disorder. This is what God wants to do. We see this explicitly in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 4. Uh, Mark chapter 4, Jesus is, uh, it, it's in several places throughout the gospel, but Jesus is on a boat with his disciples, and you, some of you may know the story. But Jesus and them are riding along, right, and they're, they're, there's a storm that hits. It's a, a great storm. So great, in fact, that they think that the ship is going to be overturned. And Jesus is, is uh, snoozing down in the, in the cellar, you know, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll read it, and that way you know. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats soon followed. But a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Jesus trying to take a nap. I love that part. Uh, 
Marissa has a nice shirt about that. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the great wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other, even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, God is in the business of bringing order where there is disorder, where there is a storm, where there is, where there is, where there is chaos. God brings peace. God brings peace. That is the second week of Advent is peace. Isaiah writes beautifully about this in Isaiah uh, chapter 9. I should, have, I should have tabbed all these if I'm going to be going from back, before, back and forth. Isaiah, thousands of years before Jesus, prophesied about Jesus. Um, and when we talk about, you know, uh, Jesus, how, how do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? How do we know that G we should believe in Jesus? This right here really, to me, is, is one, of the, one of the greatest proofs that thousands of years beforehand, Isaiah foretells exactly what Jesus would be like. And he says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called, be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. He's the Prince of Peace. This is who he is. In his very essence, this is who God is. A.W. Tazer famously said this, what we believe about God may be the most important thing about us. What you believe about God may be the most important thing about us. And if you truly believe, River Church, that God is a God that brings about peace where there is chaos, it will profoundly change your life. It will profoundly change the way you look at things, the way you handle situations, the way that you handle your anxiety and your stress and situations all around. It will change your life if you begin to believe the truth that God is a God of peace and not of chaos. God desires to bring about peace in your life. When we begin to believe that, things will begin to change. So in attacking this message today, I want to talk about peace in two different sense. Because, you know, English is weird. Uh, one word can have many different meanings. Um, and, and when we say uh, peace, it can have two different meanings. Um, it can have multiple other meanings. And especially whenever you get into different spellings, people who try to learn English probably pull their hair out because you mean like peace, like peace, or like, like a piece of pizza, or like, you know, a piece of pecan pie, you know, I don't know. What are you talking about, right? No, we're talking about peace, P-E-A-C-E. Um, as written on the sign here uh, by my beautiful girlfriend, beautiful drawing, right? There's a sign. So if, you, if you're just zoning out and you're like, what is he talking about? We're talking about peace. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. I do want to camp out here for a second. I've been flipping back and forth between some scriptures. I want to, I want to stay here for a second. Bradley read this last week um, uh, as part of his message about hope. And I think this prophetic word that Isaiah gives is so important for how we want to understand peace um, in the first sense. And I want to say like this, public peace. We're going to get to personal peace here in a second, but public peace. People will refer to this maybe, uh, you know, between World War I and World War II, there's peacetime, right? There was no fighting. There's, and so that's, that's the general sense of how we use it, right? Peace, public peace. 
In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways. He will teach us, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. Listen here. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. The trajectory that Jesus set for us for the end of all things is, is, is set forth here by Isaiah, that their swords will be hammered into plowshares, that they will train for war no more. In the current state of the world, yes, there is war, there is violence, there is murder, there is genocide, there is oppression, there is disease, there is torture, there is sex trafficking, there is violence of every single kind that you could think of. But what God is telling us here through the prophet Isaiah is that that is not our hope, but the final hope is that one day there will be a time of ultimate peace where God will settle all things and God will flatten all levels of, of hatred and violence and it will all come to an end and he will be God and God in all and in that moment there will be peace unlike anything else unlike anything else so as Christians, we have to begin to embody this now as Christians, we have to begin to embody a life of peace now Jesus embodied this as he was going to the cross. Did he fight back? No, he did not. Jesus walked with such a peace about him, such a, such a non-violent way about him. I'm going to step on some toes here, but, but people who still profess Jesus still love violence. I'm here to tell you this morning that it is my humble opinion, I believe I'm correct when I read the Bible, that if we profess Jesus, that means we cannot profess ways of violence any longer. We can't. We can't support agendas and, and policies and things that would go out and, and, and would provoke violence because that is not what Jesus is about. Jesus brings peace. This is the trajectory that Jesus has set for us, folks. And so I'll just, I mean, I, I don't really care. I'm a straight shooter. We have to have these things in mind when it comes to who we vote for, when it comes to, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, maybe relationships we have or this or that. We, whenever we are thinking about how we are arranging our life, violence is an issue in this world. We have to be completely and vehemently opposed against it. We have to come against it in every way, shape, or form. I, I want to say a quick note. I'm very proud of, um, uh, this sounds weird because I'm like 21, but I'm proud of what Pastor Sharon and them are doing uh, at the school with the uh, sex trafficking, you know, raising awareness about that and raising money towards that. Uh, you know, Carla Marikin, we, we support her and her work against that. This stuff is real, folks. This stuff is real. We can sit on our couches and we can act as if it's not we can sit in our living rooms with our nice TVs and our every, all our nice things in, like, in our bubble and, and be like, yeah, you know, it exists. But it really does exist. And people are really going through these kinds of things. And if we as Christians are not actively, are not actively aware and actively concerned about the, the violence and, and the horrible things happening in the world, then are we embodying the way of Jesus? It's a good rhetorical question to ask yourself. What am I doing to bring about the peace of God in this world? 
Because God desires to bring this about, and he desires to use us. He desires to use his church to be those hands and feet, to have that impact into the world. He will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. We all pray for that day. You know, war is something that has plagued many nations and many people have had many people fall to, to it. It's, it's, humans have been fighting for so long. I don't think we know what it's like to not fight. But one day the peace of God the peace of God that will purify all hatred and all violence out of us will come and Jesus will set things right. And the nation will no longer fight against nation. This is the public peace. And if we, if we and this is, this, I want to get on a little rant here. What has happened with the American church is we have privatized Jesus. We have made him my personal Lord and Savior with my personal relationship. And it gets so personal that it has nothing to do with the public. Jesus becomes so personal to you that you don't want to go share him out there. Jesus becomes so personal to you that, that your Jesus has no influence on your political opinions, that Jesus has no influence on how you operate in your world, how you treat your neighbor, right? Jesus becomes so personal that really he's nothing at all. This is what has happened to the American church. But Jesus was a very political figure. So political, in fact, not, when I say political, it's not elephant or donkey. They didn't have that back then. What I mean by political is Jesus had a very strong opinion about how the world should be run. And as him being the enfleshment of God, I think that we should listen. Jesus said, this is how I think the world should be run. And it got him killed. It got him killed. They didn't like it. Jesus embodied the peace of God. And as Christians, if we claim to know him, we have to embody this peace as well. Everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. Okay. If anybody's mad at me, you can leave now. The door's in the back. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I don't, okay. I, I, we say that, Bradley. We say stuff like that. But I don't know how you could actually be mad. I mean, it's right there. I mean, it says it right there in the Bible. I mean, it's in the scripture. I mean, this is what God desires, you know? I mean, and if so, if you're mad at me, then you can be mad at God then because this is what, I mean, this is what the Bible says. It's right here, you know? This is what God desires for humanity. He doesn't want us to fight. He doesn't want us to kill each other and to torture each other and do all these things. So if you're mad, you'd be mad at God, not me. <laughs> you know, it's like you're like the messenger and someone gets mad. You're like, oh, no, I didn't say it, you know? They said it, you know? You know? Or we pull that card sometimes, you know, Jesus said it, not me, you know. No. I want to talk about personal peace for a minute. And this might be, you know, uh, maybe you didn't connect with that part I just said. I hope you did, but maybe you didn't. But this part, I think every single one of us need a little bit more personal peace. We need a little bit more peace in our life. We need a little bit more, uh, a, little bit, a little bit less anxiety, a little bit, a little bit less stress, a little bit less depression, a little bit less worrying, and a lot more peace. And Jesus, believe it or not, had a lot of things to say about peace. He says this in John 14, 27. Let me get there real quick. I have it up there too. I'm sorry. Very anticlimactic. John 14, 
27. Jesus says this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. The peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus also said this, John 16, 33. I've told you all this that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And lastly, my, my, maybe my favorite thing that Jesus says in relation to this topic of peace is, is out of math. <laughs> out of Matthew, he says this. Golly. That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't, they far more valuable? Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he certainly will care more for you. So why do you have such little faith? Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus brilliantly here exposes worry for the fraud that it is. Worry and stress and anxiety dominate our minds at times. But let me tell you, they are posers. Anybody ever met a poser? Anybody ever met a fraud? Somebody who, who claimed to be something that they were not. Let me tell you a story. I'm going to get real vulnerable here. You're going to think your pastor is the dumbest person on earth. Marissa smirking because I think she knows what's coming. I bought a MacBook like about uh, this past summer. And, um, you know, I, I am not always the smartest with financial decisions, you know, but, you know, whatever. Anyways, I bought this because I convinced myself that I needed it, and I was going to go buy, like, uh, like um, you know, just like a normal-priced laptop. But then I got to Best Buy, and the guy, conv he convinced me, salesman, you know, he did a good job, convinced me to buy this really expensive one because I'm dumb, okay? And so I, I, I bought the MacBook. I used it for a couple uh, weeks, months. I can't even remember now. And um, anyways, I was like, I'm broke and I need, to, I need to make some money. So I was like, I'll sell it. I can sell it online for a good price, like $1,500. And that, if I tell you I sold it at $1,500, it tells you how much it was to buy originally. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll sell it. So I put it up on eBay and... Um, yeah, this dude, uh, this dude messaged me, and he was, he was, I mean, I, I'll just tell you, I got fished hardcore, hardcore. He messaged me about buying it, and I got an email that looked exactly like it was from PayPal. Okay, don't judge me, okay? It looked exactly like it was from PayPal, but it was not. 
And you guys can all tell where this is going. I definitely did ship off my $1,500 MacBook to some dude in New York for free. Hey, but, I, okay, I'm very mad at, Fe at FedEx. Don't ever shop with FedEx. Go to UPS, and then you're paying Bradley's check if you go through UPS, right? <laughs> FedEx, I called them not one, not two, but three times and told them to stop that shipment because I figured out I got scammed before it got there. They didn't stop it. And it got there, and, um, well, the rest is history. Um, the guy who scammed me was a fraud, a poser. It wasn't even real, probably. Some dude sitting on his couch eating Cheetos in his underwear, just trying to spy and prey on idiots like me on the Internet. Let me tell you something, church. Anxiety and stress and worry are all posers. They have nothing, nothing on your life compared to what God has for you. They are all posers. I know it's a stupid story, but I tell you, we all know frauds and we all know posers. Some in funny instances like me, but some of you know them legitimately true. Some of them maybe your family, right? People who claim to be something they're not. What anxiety and fear and worry claim to do, they claim to have control over your life. But last I checked, you believe in Jesus. And whenever you believe in Jesus, you no longer have control over your life, but you have submitted it to his hand, haven't you? If you, if you? if you believe in Jesus, your life is no longer your own, but you have submitted it under his hand. And so actually what, what we do by allowing anxiety, stress, and worry to dominate our life is we're saying that they are God and the Lord is not. That's, what, that's actually what we're saying. Now, let me ask you a question. Has anybody here ever been so like stressed or worried or like, maybe not worried, but like just like all frantic that, that you're looking for something that was in your pocket the whole time, Right? Like, like sometimes like you're going and you have, maybe you're looking for your keys and you're like, like, honey, I cannot find my keys. Where are my keys? John Buzzard is giving me a witness here. Yes. Amen. Right. Uh, you know, you're looking for your keys, looking for your keys. Where are my keys? I cannot find my keys. After you lost your salvation three times and repented four times, you're like, man, God help me. Where are my keys? You pat yourself down. You're like, oh, there they are. They're in your pocket. Right. And that's, that is the illustration I want to use for so many Christians. We are searching. We're looking for peace everywhere but it's in our pocket. We're looking for peace everywhere we go. We're looking for peace sometimes in a relationship. Sometimes we're looking for peace in our financial situation. We're looking for peace in, in a boyfriend or a girlfriend. We're looking for peace in our work. We're looking for peace in a bottle. We're looking for, for peace in a substance. But if you believe in Jesus, none of those will give you peace. Your peace is in your pocket. That is to say that your peace is so close to you that it's within reach. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I want to I tell you guys something this morning. That peace is available because Jesus is available. And Jesus is our peace. Peace is not a 30-second prayer. Peace is not some sort of code. Peace is not a good, is not a good bank statement. Peace is not, uh, not even peace of mind. There is a false peace that happens, with, especially with Americans. It's like, okay, my life is a wreck, but then once I get it up to this certain point, then I will have peace. Well, that's a false peace because it's only contingent upon a good life. 
But what happens when your life is no longer good and your life goes completely down the drain? Where is the peace then? There is peace, and his name is Jesus. Peace is, not, it's not, it's, peace is not a good bank account or not a good situation. Peace is Jesus, which means that anywhere I go, anywhere, anything that's happening to me, I can have peace in the middle of the storm. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. Why? Because I have Jesus. I have Jesus, the hope of glory, my, my, my prince of peace. He is with me eternally. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Jesus never leaves us. Jesus is close. Jesus is near. Jesus is our Savior that is there to rid us of every worry, every fear, every stress, every anxiety. I read to you about the, the waters in Genesis. That It says, it says that chaotic, chaotic. And sometimes it seems as if things in our life are, in our personal life are bubbling up, right? They're they're stirring up. It seems as if whenever one thing begins to break, everything begins to break. Whenever one thing begins to go downhill, everything goes downhill. Jesus is the antidote for that. Jesus is the answer. Jesus says, I read from John 14, 27, and John 14, 6, Jesus famously says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except for through me. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer to everything that we need. Whether anxiety or depression or insecurity or strife or PTSD or addiction or self-hate, whatever comes your way in your personal life, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. I want to talk about some practical ways this morning because, because all this does sound good in, in like a broader sense, right? Sign me up for that. If I can have peace, you know, unspeakable, yeah, or peace um, unexplainable, sign me up for that, right? If I can have this kind of peace you're talking about, sign me up for that. But let's talk about some practical ways that this, uh, that this needs to happen. Number one. Prayer is our peace. Prayer is our peace. If you find yourself in, in, in a place of, of stress or worry or anxiety, then go back and examine your prayer life. Have you been praying? Have you been praying? And a subset I want to say to that is that trust is our peace. Because I want to say this, that we can pray our problems, not the solution. This is something that, that um, Jonathan taught me a long time ago, is that, that oftentimes what believers do is when we pray, we will pray our problem. We will stand there for 30 minutes and, and, and tell God all about our problems, but he already knows the problem. Don't pray the problem. God already knows it. Pray the solution. Pray the solution. Ask for God, ask for God to bring about a solution and trust in him. Trust in him for that. Trust in him for that. Control what you can control and pray about the rest. That's his number two. Control, about, control what you can control and pray about the rest. What happens with life sometimes is that we will begin to worry about all the things that we cannot control. We cannot control how the person next to us drives. You know? we, can't, we can't control you know, maybe what the doctor's report comes back as. We can't control, uh, there are certain variables in life that we cannot control, but there are things you can control. Your attitude, your praise, 
You can control your smile. You can control your actions towards others. Control what you can control and pray about the rest. And I promise you when you begin to do that, then you will start to experience some peace. Because oftentimes what dominates our thoughts is the things that we can control. That's what worries us so much are these things that are outside of our pay grade. We give that up to God. We trust in God. And then we control what we can control. I tell this all the time to the basketball boys. Control what you can control. Some of you here who appreciate sports will get this metaphor. You cannot control what the ref is going to call. You cannot control even how the shot will land after it's left your hand. You cannot control how the other team is going to act, whether they're going to trash talk, if they're going to foul you. You cannot control many, many variables you cannot control. And that's the way it is with life. We cannot control a lot of things. But what we can control, we will choose to control, and we will control those things precisely. And everything else we will pray about. We will leave it up to God. We will trust in God. We will trust in God. River Church, I urge you this morning to trust in God. That is the antidote for peace, is whenever we, we place our trust in Jesus. It's beyond our pay grade, beyond what we can control. We trust in him, and then we experience peace. Paul says this, and this, I, I do want to land the ship here because I feel like I'm maybe rambling at this point. Um, Paul says in Philippians chapter four, he says this, six and seven. Isaac and I really like to share this verse with one another because, because it really is this simple, okay? I really should have just read, came up here, read this verse, and then just got back down, you know, because it is this simple. I think I said this before in a message, but the things in life that are the most simple are not always easy, right? Dave Ramsey should have listened to him before I bought my MacBook, but he said this. He says, don't spend more than you make, right? If you want to lose weight, Start to burn more calories than you take in, right? You know, if you want to, if you want to, uh, if you, you know, all the things in life, you know, if you don't want to get in a wreck, then don't be stupid, right? You know, all those things, like very simple things, but not always easy. Listen here, this is very simple, but not always easy. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus Christ. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are worthy or that are excellent and worthy of praise. Or the part of the beginning. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And then the peace of God will guard your hearts. Let me tell you something, church. If you are experiencing stress, worry, anxiety, depression, insecurity, addiction, anything like that that is, is stirring your heart and you have no peace, it is impossible. I will say this with certainty. It is impossible for God to give you peace unless you give it to him. It is impossible for God to to, to override your free will and give you peace that you have not asked for. It's impossible. We have to give it to God. And how we do that, we give it to him through prayer. Paul is very blunt. 
Don't worry about anything. Nothing. Zip. Nada. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. Will guard your hearts. Personal peace is available to you as a believer. It's available to you as a believer. Last thing, I know I said that was my last thing, but this is, this is uh, one note I wanted to make. I'm glad I remembered this. There is a difference from the peace of God and peace with God. There's a difference. The peace of God is something that a believer feels after they've already made peace with God. Whenever we are in our sin, whenever we are outside of Christ, whenever we have not professed faith in him and asked him to forgive us of our sins, the Bible says that we are enemies with God, that we're enemies with God, that, that we have made ourselves enemies with him, that we have distanced ourselves from him, you could say, that we have, we have removed ourselves from a relationship with him. That's what sin does to us. That's what wrong living does to us is it removes us from the heart of God. And so the only way to know the peace of God is to have peace with God. If you're in this place and you don't know God, if you're not right with God, you can't know the peace of God until you have peace with God. Until you ask him to come into your life and to, and to change, to wreck everything. God, change my whole life. Forgive me of my sins and make me into a new person. That's what God desires. And then when you have the peace with God, you will experience the peace of God. The peace of God will, will guard your heart and your life, but, but you can't have the, the, horse, the carriage before the horse, right? You've got to have peace with God. Then you will experience the peace of God, the peace of God. Band can go ahead and come on up if they would, please. We're going to enter into a time of communion.